First Peter, chapter 2, 11 to 17. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honour the emperor. Again, great to be with you. And of course, as you know, this is... uh, the continuation of our series in the letter of 1 Peter. And at that point you will go, continuation? What? You know, well, let me say, I started this series back in December 2020 and did three weeks on the first part of the letter. So I'm sure that's very clearly embedded in your minds. Perhaps not. Uh, But it's online if you do want to listen to it. And today we uh, continue from where we started in that reading, chapter 2, verse 11, and uh, we'll go through to chapter 3, verse 7. And then probably in a year or two's time I'll come back and keep the series going. So by 2030 we should be just about done, I reckon. So uh, you just need to hang in there, okay? Let me pray and we'll, uh, we'll dig in. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your wonderful kindness towards us in your Son, And Father, we ask that as we reflect on your word, you'll uh, speak to our minds and hearts, uh, help us to love and serve and honour you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sue and I uh, live directly opposite a childcare centre and that means the street that we live in is always chock-a-block full of cars but always packed at different times during the day. So the other day I was about to drive my car out sometime in the morning and there was a car parked halfway across our driveway and I recognised the car as one that was normally parked in the street all day. Yeah, it belonged to someone who worked in the childcare centre, not someone dropping off a child. And I thought, okay, uh, I could be stuck here for a very long time unless I do something about it. Now... What do you think goes through a pastor's mind uh, on occasions like that, when someone parks their car across a pastor's driveway? I expect it's probably pretty well the same thing that goes through your mind when someone parks across your driveway. Here are the sort of thoughts going through my head. You know, the options, should I let the air out of their tyres? You know? Uh, Should I call the parking inspector? It's so important that people learn their lessons when they're being so selfish. Should I slash the tyres, you know? Uh, now, I'm only joking, but, you know, you sort of it's a fairly irritating sort of thing to have happen. Uh, but fortunately, I'd been reading through 1 Peter at the time, and it includes this statement, chapter 2, verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. See, so how do I apply this to my driveway problem? Okay, well, they should see my good deeds. 
Oh, it's really important that no one saw me slashing the tires. I worked that out you know, very quickly. Yeah, but seriously, I mean, how do I commend God by the way in which I live and interact with the people around me? How do I do that? Up until now, I'm 1 Peter, you know, what we covered back in December 2020. Uh, Peter's been talking about how good it is to be in the family of God, the wonderful mercy and grace that we've received because of God's kindness to us in his son. Now he starts to turn his attention to what it means to live uh, for Christ in this world. In verses 4 to 10 in chapter 2, we get images like being living stones, uh, priests, or every believer is a priest set apart for serving God 24-7. That's the picture. Uh, we're to offer spiritual sacrifices to God in a constant way. But what does that look like, those images you know, of living stones, priests, spiritual sacrifices. What does that look like when it's translated into living in this world? Well, the big idea is captured in uh, verses 11 and 12 of chapter 2. Let me just read that again as we, we think about it on the screen. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Uh, This idea of foreigners and exiles, um, it's the idea of not being citizens of Australia or any other nation, but rather to see ourselves as citizens of heaven. Uh, That's really home for us. We're told not to sin, uh, that is, don't fit in with the world's values, treat treat God like he just doesn't exist. And then it says live good lives among the pagans or or unbelievers. Now the good being spoken of here, uh, particularly as you go through this letter, is talking about acts of kindness or mercy or generosity towards others. That's, That's the sort of idea that gets threaded through the letter. And why do we live that way? Well, so that we glorify God on the day when Jesus returns. That is, our deep desire is that when Jesus returns, the people we share life with will have become his followers. That's that's the big idea in this section. Then what follows, and we're going to look at this over three weeks, are three case studies. So in verses 13 to 17... Uh, We have a case study. How do we commend Jesus to non-Christian authorities? Uh, Verses 18 to 25, how do believing slaves commend Jesus to their non-Christian masters? That's the example. And then in chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, how do believers commend Jesus to their unbelieving spouses? So those are the three examples that flow from this big idea that we see in verses 11 and 12. What I want to say is those principles or those examples that are given for us, I think they apply in every situation where we engage with unbelievers, the principles. So when we engage with our neighbours or our friends or our family or work colleagues or at school or university or a sports club or at the shops, think of any context you find yourself in uh, with people who don't follow the Lord Jesus And the principles that flow out of this section, I think, are transferable into those sort of contexts.
So let's dig into this particular example, submitting to human rulers or authorities, verses uh, 13 following. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. What we need to remember is that uh, we're talking about the first century context here and Christians were regarded as uh, subversives, right? The, the ones who threaten stable order in society. That was the situation. Uh, the Roman Empire had lots of religions and gods and the emperor was regarded as a god. But the Christians were saying, no, no, there aren't many gods, there's one god and it's not Caesar, it's not Nero. So you can see there was a, um, at that point, a clash of cultures. I suspect it's different today. I don't think, um, uh, on the whole, I think Christians would be regarded as being conservative, not the radicals, different in the first century. And yet Christians here, they are told to submit. Submit to rulers who could easily abuse their power. The emperor was a uh, a dictator. There were no checks and balances on his power. Here in Australia, there are lots, lots of checks and balances and accountabilities that we have with prime ministers or premiers or mayors. Uh, the stuff in the press recently about um, Scott Morrison's appointments to various things and the debate around that is a good example of accountability that we have operating in our society. And yet Christians here are told to, in the first century, submit to those rulers who could easily abuse their power. That's interesting, isn't it? Verse 13. Notice they're told to submit themselves. It's a voluntary thing. That is, the believers to choose to bring themselves under authority. And note submit. It's not obey, although I'll come back to that in a little while. But it is to recognise legitimate authority. Now, here's the thing I want to say. Rulers clearly won't always be reasonable or fair. That's the understanding that runs through this passage. Verse 14. Rulers are meant, meant to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right but the, the emperors of the first century, they weren't known for doing this. They were capricious in lots of, lots of uh, situations. So I understand we're being told to submit even when authorities act in ways that are not just or fair. And that's confronting, isn't it? Uh, when you hear that, that it's a Christian duty to submit even in the face of unfairness. Now, why would you do that? And when when faced with um, abuse in some situation, why would you submit? I'm not saying you don't also push back or hold accountable, but understand here the instruction is to submit to it. Why? Well, you're actually given the answer, aren't you? You do it, verse 13, for the Lord's sake. That is, you honour God by respecting and submitting to the authority of those that God has placed in authority over you. But also there's the goal. Look at verse 15. 
It's God's will that by doing good, you silence the talk of foolish people. Uh, You silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Now, ignorant at this point sounds a bit bit harsh. Uh, It's just talking about ignorance in relationship with God. You're trying to silence the talk of people who don't know God and their views about who you are. And then it goes on in verse 16 and says, so live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Isn't that an interesting combination of ideas? Live as free people, live as slaves. Both are squeezed into this verse together. In our Western world, freedom is associated with self-determination. Christians do not think that way. No, we never think that way. Our Christian understanding is that God has freed us from self-focus and self-service and self-determination so that we can serve others around us, slaves of God for the service of other people. And what we're told here is that that is true freedom. That's the freedom that we aspire to. Okay. They're the principles and the way in which the passage unfolds. What I want to do for just a few minutes is to ask the question, well, what does that mean for us who live in the 21st century, Golden Grove or hereabouts? Uh, What does it mean for us as we try and wrestle through some of these principles in our situation where we no longer have Roman emperors? Uh, We're in a different, different sort of world. First thing I want to say is we should have proper respect and honour for those who are in authority over us. Now, Australians are generally, I think, cynical, anti-authority. We cut down tall poppies. We criticise those in public office. In fact, it's a national sport to do that. That's just the way we're wired. When polls are done, politicians are one of the least trusted and respected people in our country. Can I say this, this can't be the culture among believers? It, it can't be. We pray for our leaders, the Prime Minister, the Premier, MPs, the police, school principals and teachers, those who run universities and any other office. And we will generally obey those who have authority over us. And most of the time that makes absolutely good sense. So if I asked how many of you, when you were coming here today, who drove your cars, drove on the left-hand side of the road, I suspect almost all of you will have done that. Because you think that's a smart rule to obey. And so therefore you comply with it. Uh, On the way to church today, how many of you murdered somebody? Probably not many, okay? Because we think that's a smart rule for the good of society and so we tend to obey it. How many of us think criminals should be appropriately punished for their crimes? Yeah, I think probably we'd all line up with that being a reasonable thing to happen. But I think we can hang loose to authority. So if I asked you a different question about driving and said, who of you in a 50 zone crept slightly above 50 on the way here. I'm not going to get you to answer this question, but uh, who slept or who was in a 60 zone and slept slightly, especially if we're running late to church, it's so important to be at church on time, isn't it? You know, Then we'd be in a different sort of space, wouldn't we? But of course, we, we drive within the limits for the Lord's sake. 
and to commend ourselves to other people. Uh, we had to respect and honour those in authority. That's, that's the principle. But there are limits to our submission. There are limits to our obedience. If we go to a place like Acts chapters 4 and 5, there are two times when the Apostle Peter is arrested. Now, this is the same Peter who wrote the letter that we're looking at this morning. The religious authorities examine Peter and then they instruct him not to talk about Jesus anymore. That's the instruction. And both times, Peter says he must obey God and therefore he disobeys or, or doesn't obey and submit to the leaders. Notice what Peter says here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. That's the distinction he draws. He says, fear God, honour the emperor. Fear God, honour the emperor. In the first century, as I said before, the, the emperor was regarded as a god, but of course believers know there's only one god. Therefore we fear and respect the Lord of heaven and earth. The emperor, well, he's God's servant, therefore we'll honour him. But our first allegiance will always, always be to God. Just as an aside, um, in Acts chapter 4 and 5, when Peter was arrested, he was arrested for doing good. Uh, so if you go back and read those chapters, you'll see that Peter uh, was in fact healing sick people, for example. Uh, that seems to me like a good thing to do. He was caring for the poor. Uh, what I'm saying is that doing good doesn't guarantee that you'll silence the talk of foolish people, as it says here. It's not a rule, it's a principle to be applied. It will not prevent threats and suffering. Um, I thought I'd just commend this book to you if you want to explore what it means to live in an unbelieving world. It's uh, Being the, the Bad Guys by Steve McAlpine. One Book of the Year award last year, Christian Book of the Year. It's a really helpful book for just trying to help us as believers engage in a world that is post-Christian and to think about how we respond when people are attacking us for the convictions that we have and try and live by and then how to best commend Jesus even though we have a difference of worldview at this point. Really helpful book. Uh, I'd encourage you to pick it up and work it through. Uh, but let me ask the question, when, when will we have to choose between God and human authority. Uh, let me take something that's um, current, post-current, probably right now. Just a few months ago, uh, Christians were either banned or restricted from meeting because of COVID. And there were different views among Christians. I'd be surprised if there weren't different views in this room about how we respond to those sort of rules. How are we to think about it when we're given governmental instructions uh, that are infringing in some way upon our freedoms to meet. I probably should get you to talk to each other so you could disagree with one another first before you disagree with me. But uh, yeah, Hebrews 10 talks about not neglecting to meet together, doesn't it? And so therefore some say, well, any infringement or impairment of our ability to meet together we've got to react to. Let me tell you how I've tried to work this through. I'm not trying to legislate for this. I'm just trying to tell you how I've tried to think this one through. 
I think it was a general good situation. Uh, that is, I think we were trying to play our part as part of a wider community where these rules applied and to do good for the sake of other people around us. So in this passage it talks about doing good. I think that's one of the goods that was being played out. Christians were not generally discriminated against in this space, nor were we being silenced. And there was a time where we weren't uh, able to meet together like basically everyone in the whole community, uh, but then we were able to meet. It was just with certain restrictions on density and numbers, okay? But they were fairly universally applied. That is, it was not a discriminatory sort of activity. Uh, I think it was appropriate for us to comply with those regulations that were being imposed as part of our submission to authority. In much the same way that you're doing that already today, even though we don't have COVID restrictions. But as you came into a room that's totally governed by the rules of our government, that is, they impose restrictions on how this building is built, so it complies with codes. There are fire regulations that need to be complied with in this space. I think generally we think those are good things. And I suspect that when it comes to health issues, even though we can have differences of views on this, um, it was generally a healthy thing, a helpful thing for us to be complying with that. As I say, I'm not trying to legislate on that. I'm trying to help us think through the principles and how they apply. And if you disagree with me and feel passionately about that and want to attack me, not attack me afterwards, but disagree with me afterwards, that's absolutely fine and I'm pretty relaxed about that but I'm just trying to get us into the space of thinking it through, okay? Thinking through the principles. Let me switch the lens, another situation where we might not comply. Let's say we had a doctor here and the rules changed so the doctors were compelled to euthanise their patients in certain circumstances. Now, depending on your views around that sort of legislation, it seems to me that would be appropriate for a Christian doctor to not comply with that sort of rule. Well, let's say me with a marriage licence, I hold the government's marriage licence, let's say it was legislated that I had to marry polyamorous couples, right? So uh, three people come and see me, uh, you know, a, a man and two women, and they say we all want to be married to each other and the government actually has legislated to permit that. I would not do that, you see. I would probably hand in my marriage licence, uh, but I certainly wouldn't marry in that situation because I think marriage is between a man and a woman, not multiple partners in that sort of way. That would be an example of it, for example. Or if there was a human rights issue you were concerned about, and let's say you're banned from marching, Black Lives Matter, uh, the marches we've seen in Hong Kong, various other situations, if marching was banned, do you ignore the instruction of the government at that point and march or do you comply and not march? What's my advice on that? Well, you should honour God, do good, serve the Lord to win the salvation of many. In other words, I'm not answering your question. But do you understand the principles are still there and you're trying to make those work so that you honour God. Christians will actually have different views on this I think that's inevitable uh, in terms of thinking about our response. 
And I think that can depend on the country you live in, the political environment you're in, or the issue as it comes up. Those factors all weigh in on trying to work it through. But even if you profoundly disagree with the government on what they're doing, then I take it that Christians are still to respect and honour those who are in authority. Even when you disagree, you're to respect and honour them. That's a difficult thing to balance and pull together, but that's clearly the instruction, I think, of God's word. Let me move on. To what, what degree should we engage in the political process? Okay, we live in a democracy, not a dictatorship. Uh, governments are accountable. Decisions are subject to scrutiny. Here are a few thoughts. Firstly, in our culture and situation, uh, we should vote. Uh, we're legally required to do it uh, at different levels of government, but it is the way, actually, we do hold politicians accountable, at least one of the ways. It's also appropriate, I think, for Christians to try and persuade those who make laws in our nation uh, to exercise their power for the good of the whole of society. Therefore, try to, it, it's appropriate to write to politicians, to call them up and to lobby for those good laws uh, for the sake of the good of our whole nation and country. But what I want to do is say that there are limits um, to, that come with getting good laws passed. That is, there's, there's limits to good laws. Um, the goal of submitting to authority here is not to get good laws passed. Uh, that's at best a good secondary outcome. The main goal is so that unbelievers will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That is, salvation is the main concern here. That's the primary issue going on. And what we want to acknowledge is the fact that good laws do not save or convert anyone. It's actually an impossibility for that to happen. Good laws can modify human behaviour. They can externally impose arrangements on how we live, but they cannot transform the human heart. Uh, legislative systems and political activism cannot transform human hearts. Only God, by his word and spirit, can do that. And then the third thing is this. Uh, what about when doing good is regarded as doing bad? Uh, what should we do then? So uh, right now Christians are being vilified because they're speaking about, say, same-sex marriage or abortion or euthanasia. So if we want to commend the gospel to the unbelieving world around us, should we go quiet on those issues? Because we might put people off that we're trying to convert. I don't think so. Uh, Jesus spoke out against a range of uh, issues. He wasn't always in the good... Eventually he got killed, so I'm sh assuming he wasn't that popular at the end of the day. Uh, he kept doing what he thought was right and appropriate. So I think we should speak... But when we do it, can I say we need to be uh, winsome and gracious? I, I think there's a risk for Christians when we're protesting about things to get really shouty, you know, sort of uh, to pronounce on the evils of the world around us and dump in a way. I, I don't think that's a tone that becomes us 
Because what we're trying to do is to argue for the good for everybody, not just compliance with laws we like. That's, that's really a challenging space to be in, but I think we need to be really careful as to how we conduct ourselves. And then the final thing as we think about how we live in this world is to remember that although we're citizens of Australia, we're mainly citizens of heaven. Uh, I've got a passport, my passport says Australian, but I'm to be dominated by the fact that I've been rescued by God for relationship with him. My first allegiance is to the Lord and my identity is tied up with dwelling with him for all eternity and therefore my concern is that others might glorify him and honour him as well. Just as I finish off, can I urge us just to not underestimate the impact of doing good? Uh, What do you reckon I did with that car that was blocked across my driveway? Uh, I'd just been reading through 1 Peter. What should I do? I could have just stayed home and cancelled all my appointments, so I didn't think that was probably all that useful to anyone really. But how do I apply these principles? What I did was I went across the road into the uh, childcare centre and I just explained that I was trying to leave my driveway and I think one of the people who works here just parked across my driveway. I was just wondering if it was possible uh, for them to move their car so I could get out. Now, bear in mind, I've lived across this from this childcare centre for 30 years. I reckon they've worked out I'm a pastor. Uh, so this, this wasn't an anonymous sort of visit, if you know what I mean. And the, the person on the desk at the front could see the car blocking my driver. He looked up and said, Oh, Robbo, he's always doing that. You know, like she was really grumpy with him. I said, look, no, 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 it's okay, but it really will help me if you can move the car so that I can get out and get on with my day. You see, what I was trying to do is to not make it about his selfishness or my inconvenience. I was trying to work out how I might commend the gospel by my manner to the person I was talking to or even the person who parked their car across my driveway. Now, I'm not sure if I got it right. I don't know what that drop in the bucket will do in the scheme of eternity, but it seemed to me that that was the right sort of approach for me to take at that time to commend God. I was reading about an interview with Tim Winton who's an Australian novelist. Andrew Denton interviewed him on the ABC about how he'd become a Christian. And he told this story about the fact that he grew up with his family in the suburbs of Perth. His father was a policeman in the 1960s. And his father had been knocked off of a motorbike while he was at work by a drunk driver. Put him in a coma in a hospital and eventually uh, he came out of the coma, went on to rehab, was eventually able to come home, but it was tough. He was a big bloke. He was very badly damaged, and at the time, Winton was about five years old. The kids were very young. There wasn't much they could do for him because he was so large. His wife couldn't get him out of bed. And then one day, there was a knock at the door, 
and the bloke introduced himself and he said, G'day, my name's Len. I hear your, your hubby's a bit crook. And I was just wondering if there was anything I could do. Now, it turned out that uh, Len Thomas was a local from a church who just wanted to be helping and commending the Lord to his neighbours. This is what uh, Winton, Tim Winton said about his experience as a five-year-old. Len Thomas just showed up and he used to carry my dad from his bed and put him in the bath and bathe him, which in the 1960s in Perth was not the sort of thing you saw every day. And Winton said it had a huge impact on his whole family. This strangely sacrificial love was the doorway through which his family went and started attending church and heard the gospel and became believers. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. My brothers and sisters in Christ live such good lives among the pagans or unbelievers that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Let me pray for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this instruction and the way in which it, it helps us to wrestle as we live in an unbelieving world, as we try and think through how we live good lives that commend the gospel to others, knowing that it won't always be received that way. And Father, we ask that as we uh, wrestle these things through, you'll, you'll give us that compassion and love for the people around us and then a, an open courage and confidence to keep putting the gospel on the agenda, the news about Jesus on the agenda with those that we encounter. Uh, Father, we thank you for all you've done for us. We pray you'll do it for many others around us and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.